It's been my privilege to be pastor of Sagemont for, for now over a half of a century. I was from the home of a pastor. I have known all my life what a pastor is as far as in reality, but I also know scripturally that we are shepherds. That's what we are. We're not uh, celebrities. We're not anything more than a shepherd that God assigns a lot of sheep to, some a lot, some not so many, but the pastor is a shepherd. The shepherd's responsibility is protect the sheep, feed the sheep, take care of the sheep. There's, it could go on and on with what they're to do, but, but we, the saved, are the sheep of his pasture. The shepherd, the pastor, helps the sheep and shows and warns them when, when danger is close, when the wolves are closing in. A sheep, if you ever know anything about sheep in the wild, they are not the smartest thing in the world, but I don't want to compare you to that part of it, all right? But, but sheep are just, they're gullible. And, uh, and sheep are, are kind of an humble little animal, and they can be fooled very easily. And so the shepherd has to make sure that in his responsibility to God that we protect the sheep and that we train the sheep and help the sheep to grow up to be what God wants them to be. Now, having said that, I'm going to, I'm titling the message today, Celebrating Christmas God's Way. And Colossians 2, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, has some verses that I want you to listen to, three of them. And it's talking about those of us that are God's children. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, those that have received Christ Jesus the Lord are those that have invited Jesus to come into their heart. They believe in God. They believe in his son. They believe his son is alive. And they believe that the Bible says if we invite Jesus into our hearts, he'll come. All right. That's who we're talking about. As you have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let me just stop and it says, as you become a Christian, you begin to grow. The more you learn about God, the more you learn about what God has done in your life, the more you learn about how God wants to use you for his glory, the, the more full of thanksgiving you're gonna be that you were adopted into the family of God. Verse eight, beware, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, having the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now, it's very, very important that every person here know as you celebrate Christmas, the Christmas story in one verse. And of course, it's John 3.16. Now, that verse is the most quoted verse in all of the Christian history for a reason. If we do not understand what a Christian is, we will never understand what a Christian is to do. If we don't understand that we're not our own, that we are bought with a price, and we don't understand that, we think it's my life, my stuff, my desires, my intentions, but we never come to grasp with the fact that no, 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 we were once a slave to sin. Now we are a servant of God. 
We are not treated as slaves. We're treated as servants. God has said that he will take care of his servants. He will provide the best for his servants. In fact, his servants can come and live with him, both here in earth and in heaven. But all during this time, we wrestle with that simple scripture for, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas is the day to remember John 3:16. Christmas is the day to remember that God sent his son, the most valuable, precious thing he could send. He didn't have 10 sons and sent one. He had one son and he sent that one to come and to die on a cross, to defeat the enemy, Satan, then to be buried in a barred grave. And three days later, he would rise from the grave. 40 days later, he would ascend to the right hand of the father. And that gift came with a whole lot of blessings and a whole lot of privileges if we understand the gift. Now, if we think that the only reason God came to earth was to just die on a cross and that the Holy Spirit, not really sure why the Holy Spirit's around. Well, the Holy Spirit's where the power is. The Holy Spirit's where the comfort is. The Holy Spirit is where the knowledge of the scripture come. The Holy Spirit is where protection comes. I mean, we could add on and on to that list, but the thing is we got to understand what the day is. What is Christmas day? It's the day we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, when the word became flesh. Now, on that day, God gave his son to pay the sin debt of every single person that let him pay the debt. Think about that. If somebody walked into your house today and said, how much money you owe? Most of you say, I have no idea. Well, shame on you. But anyway, if they said, I know, and they said, could I pay it off? Would you just let me write a check for that? Would, that, would it make you mad? No, 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 I don't want you to do that. No, I wouldn't want to do that. No, no, I've got too much pride for you to do that. Uh, No, I just couldn't. No. Uh, I think most of you would say, yes, sir. I'd be glad to, but you're not going to believe what you're going to look at. And the Lord would say, well, I sent my son to pay not only for your sin, but for the sins of all humanity. And my son bore your sins on the cross. But before he left, he established his church. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I want you as the body of Christ, I will give you gifts. I will give you spiritual gifts. I will give you financial gifts. I will give you talent gifts. But I want you to use those gifts for my glory. That's all I ask of you. Now, I want you to understand, my children, I will provide for you life, joy, peace, comfort, Matter of fact, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory through Christ Jesus. But if I do that, I expect you to understand what's going on. Because if you don't understand, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, you will start using stuff about my business, my money, my body, my my decision, my this, my that. It's not mine. I don't own my life anymore. And if you're a Christian, you don't own your life anymore. 
Now, if you're out there in the world, you can play the world's game and die the way the world will die without God and without hope. But if you will just simply acknowledge the scripture, even the simple John 3, 16, and understand that Jesus paid a debt for us that we could not pay. We could not pay for our sins. There's nothing you can do today, nothing you can do to get forgiveness on your own. There's nothing to pay back what you have done in the past. There's only one way for your debt to be made clean, and that is for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin. And the Bible says, and Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The Bible says the word became flesh. And a self-centered, rebellious civilization that had rejected God the Father was the recipient of the best and most costly gift that was ever given. We are the beneficiaries. We are the beneficiaries. It's interesting to note to me that in Matthew chapter 2, when we were reading the Christmas story, it's, it's something that just occurred to me as I was preparing this message that really I had not seen before in the context that I want to present it to you. In Matthew 2, 11, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Who's the they? It was the wise man, the three wise men, okay? They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They worshiped him. That's the first thing they did. And then, what's the next thing they did? They made a gift. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Instantaneously, the wise men, and the Bible calls them wise, understood this Jesus is worthy of our gift. We want to be givers and not takers. We want to be generous, not selfish. The world is selfish. We're going to be generous. And so we pick it up there. When we see that wise men were givers, their treasures were an outward ex expression of an inward experience. The scripture describes believers in Matthew 7, 20 with these words, by their fruits, you shall know them. You know what the scripture is saying here, that we are producers of fruit if we're in God's vineyard, do what God wants us to do. And when those fruits are given to us, then we're to use those for the glory of God. Matthew 6, 19 says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now listen to this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Can I say that again? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Could I illustrate it for you? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but do you own any stock? Let me ask you, how often do you look at the stock market every day? If your treasure is there, you better be looking at it. You say, no, I, I, I buy gold and silver. Well, do you look at that market? No, I'm into oil, okay, whatever. How about when you go to a ball game? What, why do you think the big crowds really gather the ball game? You think everybody loves football? No, they love to bet. And about 90% of them up there are betting, and they'll give up everything in the world to go to a football game to see what happens there, 10 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever, because that's where their treasure is. I don't watch this game for the sport. I watch it because I bet. I love to bet. 
You know, why do people go to the, and put their money in the lottery to feed the poor people? I don't think so. They're poor. That's the reason they're playing the lottery. Okay? But they go and play it. Why? Because I'm going to be the winner. Even though everybody tell you, you got, you got a better chance of getting hit twice with lightning in your lifetime. But it doesn't make any difference. Every Wednesday, I'm there. If it's raining, I guarantee the lottery tickets didn't go down 10 tickets if it was pouring down rain in Houston on Wednesday. Everybody was there. You know why? Because that's where the heart is. That's where their heart is. Gold, silver, whatever you want to talk about. Now, let me tell you, antidote to that. When your heart's in God's hands, the thing that matters to you is what's going on in the uttermost part of the world as far as getting the gospel out. What's going on in the city where I live to get the gospel out? Where is there a people that loves people like Jesus does? They'll go to the hospital when they're sick. They will surround them when death comes and love on them. And that will teach them the ways of righteousness. Even the little crying, screaming children that they'll be there every Sunday to teach or the teenagers that are going through the toughest time of any generation to, to break through and go with God and give their life to do that, to sing in a choir and bless us and not get paid or to play an orchestra and not get paid. For those of you that are guests, that what goes on in this church is a group of people that love God. And mission statement is we'll be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. As he is, so we're to be. Listen, God wants to bless you. He doesn't want to curse you. God does not want to withhold things from you. He said, I will not withhold any good thing from those that love me. But those that love me will give me some attention. They will spend time with me. They will talk with me. They will discuss with me their life. But we today are, are in a world where taking seems to be the norm. And the Bible says, again, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You know, you can take Sagemont Church. And by the way, for those of you that are guests today, uh, you'll not be in a church anywhere on the planet that tries to be more, more scriptural in the way we handle finances in Sagemont. But a lot of people don't understand those chairs that, that we're sitting in, or you're sitting in right now, somebody bought that chair for you. Did you know that? That parking place, somebody bought that place for you. Do you know somebody paid for this building just so you could hear the gospel today? Those of you that are watching by television, it cost $350,000 to send living proof to Houston. We never asked for a dime. Why? Because that's what we do here. We get the gospel in Jerusalem and then carry it to the uttermost part of the world through the Internet. That's what the church is for. We don't need a pat on the back. We just need people to understand. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I'd rather be here giving and sending it out and be sitting there in a hospital uh, room watching it. But thank God we can do that. But that's the way God works. God sent his son as a gift to teach people how to be givers and not be selfish. Boy, it's a real struggle. If you give to the Lord and his bride, you'll keep up with what it's doing. The people that care about what the church is doing, support what the church does with their time and their talents and their substance. And if our hearts and lives are totally committed to Jesus Christ, our treasures will be used to glorify God. And God says, I'm looking for people to trust my treasure to. 
And I want to bless them. But it's getting harder and harder to find those people. You see, when we come into this world, we're born with a wicked, selfish heart. Probably the first word that your grandchild uh, ever said was, mine, mine, mine. And when they're screaming and hollering and you go in there because their cousin came over, they're saying, it's mine. He got it and it's mine. That's just wickedness and selfishness that we're born with. I was born that way and you were born that way. But in the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, and Brother Stewart, I'm glad you're sitting down here to keep, keep me up with the Old Testament because, you know, people think, well, tithing's Old Testament. Tithing started way before the Old Testament started. Giving by the law and all that, that's always been around. But listen to me. Deuteronomy 15, 9. Beware that there be not a thought in your wicked heart saying, the seventh year of release is at hand in your eye. Uh, be evil against your poor brother and you give him naught. And he cries unto the Lord against you and it be sin unto you. You shall surely give it to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give unto him because that for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless you in all your work and in all that you put your hand unto. What are they talking about here? You see, they used to have a law. It says every seventh year, all, all debts were canceled. Anybody vote for that law? Well, you will after Christmas, I'll bet you for a whole lot of you. And you'll say, I hope this is the seventh year, you know. But what happened then was people that were worldly about their money and all, they said, well, I don't want to loan you anything right now because we're in the seventh year and you won't have time to pay me back because if you couldn't save it up in seven years, you're sure not going to get it in seven months. So I'm not giving you a dime. And they just held on to it. But that's the way people are, okay? That's the way people, unless they're born again. Now, when they're born again, things begin to change. Let me ask you a question. You ever been around stingy, selfish people? Does anybody here know? Put your hands up real quickly. Don't look at them when you put your hands up, but just have you ever been around a selfish, stingy person? Just raise your hand, all right? Okay, I think that's all of us. Aren't they fun to be around? Don't you like to take people out to eat with you in the nicest restaurant possible who have never paid the bill any time that they ever went out to eat with you? Let me tell you my story. This won't mean anything to our young people. They don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you know what a pulley bone is? Those over 65, would you please raise your hand? <laughs> How about a wishbone? They don't serve them at churches. They don't serve them at Popeye's. They don't serve them. Nobody Dave knows what one is. Well, let me tell you what it is. I thought the chicken just lost it there for a while, you know, and that's the reason nobody sells them, but they didn't. But back years ago, when grandma cut up the chicken, they cut off some part right here and it had what's called the pulley bone or the wishbone. And oh, it was delicious. The sweetest meat in the chicken. We'd go over to Mississippi. My grandmother cooked those chicken. I had a couple of uncles and they'd always be front of line. Guess what they'd get? Both of them. The pulley bone. Pulley bone. I mean, while you were having prayer at Thanksgiving, they'd be moving down the line. Everybody else is like this and they're moving down the line because we're going to get that pulley bone. You ever go out and, and watch guys at a hunting camp that goes over? Which one gets the biggest steak? This there. You know, those are not fun. They pick the blind they're going to hunt in. Where are they going to go in the boat? They're just selfish, you know? Well, that's not what God's people are. We're not a selfish people. We're a people that try to walk with God in righteousness and be a generous people and a loving people and willing to step back and say, I want you to be blessed. And whatever I can do, be living proof of loving God to your watching eye, then that's what I want to do. But listen to me, folks. Selfishness is wickedness all through the Bible. 
Selfishness is wickedness. That's the reason children have to be taught early in life, don't be selfish. And when they have selfish parents, it's hard for them to get the point from the verbal presentation. When I came to know the Lord at age eight, my mother and dad taught me how to give of my time and my talents and anything financially that I ever had. It's the greatest teaching I ever had in my life. I was so blessed to be able to learn the joy that comes from giving. But here's what God's people don't understand. God's people don't understand this. You say, well, it takes, it takes so much. I've got so much need in order to exist. You know what Philippians 4:19 says? My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God's not looking at your bank account. He's looking at your heart. God knows your heart and he knows what you're going to do with what he blesses you with. And when you're a selfish person, you're going to bless yourself with it. They always ask people on those game shows that win all that money. Well, if you won the $50,000, what would you do? Most of them say, well, I'd buy me this, I'd buy me that, I'd buy me this, and I might give my grandmother something. And that's about it. But listen, God doesn't bless selfish people. That's Satan's bunch. God loves cheerful givers. God loves people that'll take what he gives them and use them for his glory. God, now listen to me, please. God created giving not for his sake, but for your sake and my sake. God is wanting us to get a hold of something. He wants us to get a hold of the joy that comes to learn it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. To be the one that sits around the tree on Christmas and, and watch everybody else open their presents. I have a good friend. God blessed him with lots of money. So much money that he, every Christmas they have a, a day, not on Christmas Day, when they come over to the house and he writes a check to every member of the family, and there's 47 of them, and he writes a check for the maximum he can give each child tax-wise. I talked to him on the phone three days ago. He said, Pastor, he said, we had a little party. He said, you're not going to believe this, but said, you know, since my wife died, I don't send out invitations to the kids anymore. He said they were all there. <laughs> he said, you just can't believe how much they love me. <laughs> One day a year. I've, I've been looking through that ancestry stuff to see if I'm not kin to him some way or another. I, <laughs> You might want to do that the same. We'll have to talk in private about that. But, but here's, here's the thing, folks. God wants us to have an unselfish heart and a rejoicing heart, not a grieving heart. The 10th verse says, you shall surely give to those in need and your heart shall not be grieved when you give unto him because that for this thing, the Lord your God shall bless you in all your works and in all that you put your hands unto. God said, if you will become a giver and you will bless people, you will get the gospel to people, you will help people that are hurting, you will be generous in your time, your talents, and your substance. You'll be willing to serve in the church. You will be willing to give to the work of the Lord. You'll be willing to go on mission trip. You'll be willing to do all that. Listen, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own the hills they graze on. Listen to me, people. God does not need your tithe to pay his bills. He's paid his bills in full. He's trying to bless some people. And the only way it's ever going to happen is for you to be a vessel through which God can 
put flow his love, his patience, his forgiveness, and yes, his finances. And then all of a sudden you quit being grumpy and you start being happy, happy, happy. You start enjoying life and seeing that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. God wants us to give with a grateful, grateful heart. God never resented giving his son to this earth. God's heart was pure, gave his only begotten son because he's seen people by the millions and millions and millions come into his family because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so many of our young people that grew up in Sagemont that are on the mission field right now, both here and around the world. Those kids grew up at Sagemont. They learned from giving parents. They gave of their time, talents, and substance how to give their life to the Lord. And they gladly serve God in the uttermost parts of the world. That's one of the reasons that we get so caught up in our Christmas time of mission giving because we know that part of that is even going back into the roots of the mission ministry of the Sagemont Church here in Houston, Texas. You see, God has a way of just making it clear. The book of Malachi, you know what that is? One guy told me, he said, he said What's a, who was Malachi? <laughs> well, Malachi was the last book in the Old Testament, okay? And in that book, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, will a man rob God? You answer that question. You know how many people tithed last year in the Christian churches of the United States? Somewhere between 4 and 7% gave 10% of their gross income. That's been done by five major surveys. Okay, question is, will a man rob God? He says, yet you've robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? In your tithes and your offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me. Even this whole nation bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith says the Lord of hosts if I'll not open the windows of heaven pour you out a blessing that there'll not be room enough to receive it and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field says the Lord of hosts. You know what God says here? He says you prove me. You try to outgive me. You just take some time and you try to outgive me and you see. And you'll find out that I'm dead serious. When I find a people whose heart's perfect towards me, I will open up the windows of heaven in order that I can trust them. Trust them. Many people that are Christians, they watch television every single day, Christian television. And if you'll go home with me, we'll start it today and we'll test it. We'll go down through the line. TV, 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 program, 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 program. And it's all, give me some money and God will give you more. Give me some money and God will give you more. Give me some money and God will give you more. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not the gospel. There is nowhere the Bible teaches that. God simply says, I will give you what you need to carry out my, my word. But if you think I'm going to give you a dollar on every dime, you are dead wrong. That's not the way God works. You don't give to get, you give to give. You give to give. And I'll illustrate that in just a second. But if you haven't learned that, you're one of those people that doesn't smile, get mad, feel like that everything is about you, and it doesn't matter what your income is. You first have to give your life. And when you give your life, 
then all these other things shall be added to you. Can I ask you a question? You have a good attitude towards people that steal. I wonder why the Bible says one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. When you rob God, you're stealing. There's not a good word in the Bible about that. But God gave us his son. He asked us to give back as he blesses us. If you never tried it, why don't you do it and see if he's true to his word? Instead of saying, my accountant says I can't do it, why don't you let your God tell you you can? You say, well, I've got a pretty good business. You want a better one? Well, I've got a pretty good job right now, and I'm finally on my feet, and I, well, wait a minute. Who put you on your feet? And could God have more out there? Because the Bible says, he that's faithful in a few things, I'll make you rule over many things. I could say without, I think, breaking the teaching of Scripture, you be faithful what you've got, and God will see that you have more. If your commitment is to make God look good instead of make you look good. When the Bible says, bring in your first fruits, could I ask you this? How many people can finish first in a race? One. One. There's only one person can be first. So I ask you this question. How many guys can be first in your life? How many guys can be first in your life? One. Who can that God be? Your choice. My suggestion is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the sooner we put Jesus first in every area of our life, we will start experiencing the promised blessing in every area of our life. Where do you need blessed? You want more time? Give God more of your time. Whatever you need, you need more love? Give people more love. You, you need people to be nice to you. You be nice to somebody. That's the way that works. And when you get in that, you just amaze yourself. And before long, it gets to be fun to say, yes, come right on in in front of me. I know it's been 45 minutes from downtown to NASA one, but come right on in and take that little spot right there because I was back there trying to get in for 15 minutes and nobody let me in. And all of a sudden, your life begins to be, instead of getting mad at people, you get glad. And you get happy. And those doors open up. And those ways begin to, to uh, just be God's ways. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all of my needs. Ooh, I like that part. Would you say that part with me? All of my needs according to his riches. Not my money in the stock market. According to his riches in glory. So why would God choose to bless you financially greater if you're not faithful what you have now? You remember the little widow? Two pennies. She gave both of them. That little widow's gift has stimulated many little child to start giving, come home and say, Mom and Daddy, they told a story today about a lady in the Bible that gave, had only two pennies and gave both of them. And all of a sudden it starts a whole new attitude towards stewardship. So let me ask you something. If you believe your money, I don't care what you have. If you're on welfare, you're wealthier than half the world's population. If you draw a welfare check in America, you're, you're in the wealthy of the world, okay? So I want to ask you something. If your money didn't come from God, where did it come from? Did it come from gambling? Did it come from stealing? Did it come from selling drugs? Did it come from cheating on your income taxes? 
Did it come from being immoral? Did it come from robbing God? Where did it come from? See, those are tough questions. But I owe it to you as your pastor to help you understand the heart and mind of God as it's taught in the scripture. But here is what God knows to be true. He that is faithful in that which is least. This is Luke 16, 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. But he that is unjust in the least is also unjust in the much. You've got to start where you are and let God take you to where he wants you to go. But don't try to guide his course. Let him guide your course.